and gentlemen, presented by the WZWA Network, it's the Insider's Edge Podcast with your host, Carlifornia. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge Podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California. And it's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, right here, right now, I get the opportunity to talk to the guy who's He's my favorite ring announcer right now in professional wrestling. This guy is like, he's like a party host for extreme pro wrestling. That's how I feel when he walks out. It's time for a party. That's what I feel when I see this man right here, the legendary, the one and only Mr. Larry Legend. How you doing, bro? I'm doing fantastically well. And after that introduction, I am feeling even better. So thank you for that. Uh, well done. And I'm glad that you hit that. Um, it's a party. It's a party. When I step through that curtain and the people are rocking, hey, it's party time. So yeah, that's that's what that's my approach to it. Um, a lot of the times the first thing you see after the guy scurrying around the ring to set it up and the referee kind of getting in position and the commentators sit down, the first person that walks out that curtain that's gonna kick off the show is typically your ring announcer your master of ceremonies your MC, and i i i I very much care about that moment and every single time i am warmly welcomed and received and that's what makes my job all the more easy absolutely bro and like this is the thing like not many wrestling companies give their ring announcer an entrance there's a reason why they give you the entrance because you are the party host with the most and that's what's that's what makes the beginning of the show so exciting. But Larry, we gotta go, we gotta go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back. When you were a young man, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Well, like um, like most uh fans that are of my generation, I'm an 80s baby. Um, Saturday morning was a huge thing um because there was no school. You got to sleep in and they showed the rare cartoons that weren't shown during the week on Saturday morning, Monday through Friday, getting ready for school. You had Dennis the Menace in syndication, maybe a little uh, Denver, the last dinosaur, you know, you know, nothing that I really was too pressed to see. But on Saturday morning is when the cartoons that only were produced and shown on Saturday morning would be on. And in my market, Right after the hours of cartoons, pro wrestling would start. It would be WCW on uh, what would would eventually become the Sinclair Broadcast Network that eventually owned Ring of Honor. Um, It would be WCW on 54 and WWF on 45. The first show would start at... um, at, at 11, that would be WCW on 54. And then you got right into WWF at noon on Saturday morning. So my first love affair with wrestling was coupled with cartoons and sort of having a good fun time watching these images of of animation and then getting real live uh cartoon characters kind of that were that were real men that could bleed you know and and get in and really get messed up so that's really my love affair with with pro wrestling was with, with 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 cartoons on saturday morning right so what year would have that been in the 80s um, well, I guess 
90-ish, 90-ish. I can remember distinctly. Now, I mentioned Saturday morning being my love affair with pro wrestling, but I can remember distinctly um, there would be times where Saturday Night Live would be preempted for Saturday night's main event. And I do remember uh, being excited by the fact that wrestling was on at night. And um, I, I can distinctly remember trying to stay up to watch um, Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan, the rematch from WrestleMania 3, it was, for the title. Um, but I fell asleep on that match. I did not see that match. But I can remember as early as, you know, 1990, um, you know, being excited and staying up to catch wrestling. But the love affair really, I'd say really in, in 1992 is when I wouldn't miss it. 92 is when I wouldn't miss it. I was going out of my way to make sure that I saw it and to follow the storylines and to keep abreast with both WCW and WWF at the time. Right. So you're very lucky to be living over there at the time because you get access to all of this stuff. I'm from Perth, Western Australia. Do you know how long it took us to get access to any of this stuff? Most of the time, you know, we get a little bit here and there but not really enough on the level that you would get over there in the US. So, you know, as a fan growing up um, on my end, very frustrating to find anything that I'm trying to find. For you, you've got WCW, you've got WWF. You know, do you find your way into tape trading? Do you buy the magazines? How does your fandom grow as you grow older? So definitely um, the magazines were, were a huge thing for me in my fandom because I wanted wrestling all of the time. And of course, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, early 90s, we only got it really on Saturdays. That's it. There was no Raw. There was no Thunder. There was no, you know, weekly wrestling. So when I would go to supermarkets or comic book stores, I would always find the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, all of these magazines just to like, look at the images and read the words and, and kind of see the names of uh, other wrestlers and other companies that I had no idea what USWA was or, or, or a triple A, you know, like all of those <laughs> companies were covered, but I, I never, I never put two and two together to realize that those were like kind of indies. I just was like, Oh, USWA, ECW, whatever. I don't see any of the names. And then I would see like, Oh, Superfly Jimmy Snuka is on this ECW roster. I was like, he used to be in WWF. I remember him. Like, so yeah, um, around the time through the magazines is when I realized that there was another world, but I really didn't explore it because I was kind of still learning and immersing myself in WWF. It was it was a little too much. But I will tell you that um at one point I I was like kind of like how your setup is there with the NWO banner and I see a, a, a wrestling buddy there. I started to kind of adorn my walls with all of the eight by 10 or 11 by 17 foldouts that you could get from the magazines. And I remember one of the first ones that I put up on my wall when I didn't even know who this person was, was a man by the name of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> and he was a blonde wrestler that like was kind of doing the signature wrestler pose with the smile and, and the fist up, like I'll knock your teeth out. And I put him up on my wall and I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's a wrestler and he's featured in this magazine. So up on the wall he goes. And then by the time, you know, I um I, I left home, I just had my entire wall plastered with different posters that I pulled out of various magazines. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, the 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 fandom grew then and then it wasn't tape trading what it was was um we used to have 
hardcore wrestling fans who would subscribe to the Observer. I didn't even know what the Observer was. And they would subscribe to the Torch. I didn't even know what the Torch was. And what they would do is they would set up phone numbers that were directly connected to a voice machine, a, a, an answering machine. And weekly, they would essentially get the torch and get the, the uh, observer and they read everything that Meltzer was writing about. All of the rumors about, um, this is when I kind of started to realize that maybe pro wrestling was set up um, <laughs> because I'll, I'll, never I'll never forget in 93, Shawn Michaels was stripped of the Intercontinental Championship and they had a battle royal on Raw where the last two people would then fight the next week on Raw to crown the new Intercontinental Champion. And uh, the first episode of that Raw was live. So it was all like brand new. But what I learned was that then they would sometimes do a set of tapings. So it would be a live Raw, then a taped Raw, live Raw and a taped Raw. And one of the hotlines that I called to get the news reported that next week on Raw, you're going to see Razor Ramon win the Intercontinental Championship. And I just could not fathom how they knew this. I also was kind of ignorant to the fact that it was the same crowd that I was watching, you know, that they, they would they wouldn't say where they were live from. They would just say it's Monday Night Raw. And the match was started, but the match would start. But of course, what was reported on the phone happened. And that's when I kind of was like, whoa, the jig may be up because I was the kind of kid that was fighting everyone on the playground that wrestling was real they weren't they were really hitting each other they didn't know who was going to win you know someone won the bell it was like a big deal you know and of course I had a lot of classmates that were like you can see them stomping the mat you know I my dad told me one time he went down early and saw them <laughs> practicing you know and and all types of things where I'd be like a soul soul warrior on the playground trying to defend you know my favorite thing and um, yeah that's when I kind of started to glean that this thing may be kind of a, a little bit of a, a setup like a movie or a TV show I was watching. <laughs> I love all that. I really love, I love talking to guys like you that, you know, like I've had guys on the show like Don Morocco and all that. And like, I can't talk to them in depth about what it was like being a fan growing because they don't want to go on about their fandom too much. So I like to hear about like your experience as a fan to compare it to mine because uh, I, I believe it was like 92. I would have been like five, six years old. And uh, at my uh, nonna's house, uh, there was WCW on television. And the moment I saw it, it blew my mind. And I was like, wow, what is this? Within 30 seconds, my dad immediately made sure that I knew that it was not real. Oh, this this is not real, son. This is not real. It's all, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all pretend. I don't know why he was so adamant, but yet for... Uh, Decade plus Santa Claus is okay to tell me that. Uh, right, that's exactly what was going through my mind. They, 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 they fool us to think that there's a bunny that's gonna drop off yeah. eggs, that there's a a magical fairy that's gonna while we're sleeping take our tooth and give money, that there's this big guy in a red suit. All of that is part of the course for stretching a child's imagination, but I guess it's the potential for us to imitate the violence, which is very deadly. If, if, if you know, you pile drive a guy on cement, they could die. You could crack their skull and they could die. So I guess maybe it's kind of like, hey, I don't want little Larry to go out of uh, the Catholic school playground and drop kick, you know, a girl that he's <laughs> mad at, you know, thinking she's just going to bounce back up and hit him with a clothesline, you know? <laughs> so I, I guess that's where it is. But it's so, it's so ironic that our parents 
worked tirelessly to fool us on some regards about rewards that you could get if you were a good person or magical things that happen when your tooth comes out. But, oh, no, 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 it's all fake. Don't, don't, don't even, <laughs> you know, it's so strange, but Man, you it know, is what it is. Look at us now. Now it's kind of like an accepted thing. I wonder if there even is any more wonderment in children, you I know, wonder. how far their wonder can go, you know? Yeah. You know what? That just uncovered a memory. I've never spoken about this subject on the show before, but it's so funny that my father was so adamant about letting me know that wrestling was not real, but he was, he was really adamant when I started at school, like really early on, I was like five years old. He would make sure like, if anyone tries to bully you, you stand up for yourself. If anyone tries to you, stand up for yourself, Same. you have to stand up for yourself. Right. And the very yes. week at school, this girl took my crayon and I punched her in the face. I was five. I don't know what I, I, I just thought this is what dad meant. Like as soon as someone does something that upsets me, I punch them. And he was like, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. But still, <laughs> yeah, of course. funny how they go on about this aspect, but pro wrestling. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not real. I don't know. I just, I just feel I was... like the lesson, I feel like the lesson could have been a little deeper it kind of he went into and girls are going to do things to you to try to get you to punch them in the face but it actually means that they like you then maybe you would have been smartened up as we say in the biz that you know stand up for yourself if there's a, a guy that's bullying you if a guy another little boy is taking your money or your lunch but if the girl does it it means she wants to smooch you know? exactly he should have been he should have given me a little bit more information on that but uh, yeah yeah i'm glad that you're vibing with that larry um but okay so Fandom, 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 fandom. It grows, it grows, it grows. You're a young man, become a teenager. I don't know if if, if wrestling's still cool in school because it was cool for like oh, a short period of time for me in like 1998, 1999 when the Attitude Era was going on and man, like everyone loved it. And, you know, you'd walk into a local fast food outlet and and the guys in front of you line up wearing like NWA Austin 316 shirts. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, man. Mm-hmm. But there's a point in time where it's not so cool and uh, people find out that you like watching wrestling and, you know, their thoughts on wrestling are, well, I see these guys, The Rock and Stone Cold, but I don't know anything about it, but they're two guys in their underwear fighting each other. That's gay. And that makes me gay, you know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you have to keep it quiet. Did that happen to you at all? So I... It did. Okay, I have two schoolings, you know, um, what's it called? Matronations. Catholic school from first to eighth grade, Catholic school. So a lot there. A lot there is where I was teased and called gay quite a bit because I was a fan of wrestling. And I did kind of keep it a little bit on the low in Catholic school. High school, I went to a performing arts high school my parents realized that there was something inside of me that needed to get out through observing me. And like, you know, how in school you have like the Christmas pageant, the spring pageant. Those were always the times where all of my behavior problems and sort of my like learning, if I was doing bad in math, didn't matter when I was like featured in the school production that our parents were going to come to see before Christmas break or spring break, you know? If I was in that, it was like, wow, Larry stole the show. Larry was great. I wish they would do that again just so we could watch Larry. And my my mom and my grandma kind of acknowledged that and they put me into like community theater. 
And that led to me eventually going to and enrolling in a performing arts high school. Once I got into the performing arts high school and I was around, you know, goth kids, atheist, cosmetology kids, like all types of people that were involved in the arts and had a passion for the arts, it didn't matter what you wore. It didn't matter what you repped. It didn't matter if you were gay. It was such a nurturing environment and a, a stark contrast from Catholic school. So in high school, fandom was everywhere. If you ask anyone that I went to high school with, they would tell you I had the Shawn Michaels denim jacket. I had the Shawn Michaels hat. I wore the Shawn Michaels earrings. I wore the Shawn Michaels heart glasses. I would get up on the bus in ninth grade and the girls would like, cheer for me as I sang, I'm just the sexy boy, sexy. <laughs> they would do it on the bus and then they would like want me to do it during lunch period. Um, you know, I, so I, I was completely embraced um, as a pro wrestling fan. And because I was in a performing arts high school, I would actually like learn acting techniques. Like, of course we were like reading things about Shakespeare and Meisner and all of these great minds of, of acting. But I would like watch like how Undertaker would pause and do his head whip around and how dramatic, how more dramatic that would make a promo. Or I watch like, a, you know, Stone Cold's gears turn in his head right before he would give, you know, McMahon the kick in the stomach and the stunner the first time in Madison Square Garden. Like the, the angst on his face at one point, I think he like started rubbing his head and he goes into the corner and then he gets on the microphone and you can tell the tensions in his body. And then he goes, I appreciate that you can go to hell or kiss my ass or whatever he said. And then the stunner and like, you know, I popped. I had this huge moment of like, yes, that's what we knew what was coming. That was what, what, what we wanted to see. But like that kind of thing, like hooked me more than the actual matches. Okay, the matches were almost secondary to me, to how these guys were convincing me and women were convincing me that this is like something I was must see TV. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I have a Return of the Living Dead tank top on right now. I'm really into the style of acting that is in horror movies uh, because it's very true it's very not good but it's very true on some level um and that is very much the same style of acting that i acknowledged was in pro wrestling and by being embraced by my performing arts high school and um you know just showing my true colors i was able to learn a lot of kind of like ways that you could manipulate the audience to like get on your side or or, or, or believe in whatever you were saying through watching pro wrestling, so. That's brilliant. And yeah. You know what? I really missed when wrestling was a soap opera, like a male soap <sighs> opera. God damn. But uh, anyway, Larry, okay, fandom, fandom. We're done with fandom now, okay? We, we right on. really covered it in, in, in very good detail. I'm so, sure there's so many people out there that will convey with how we both feel about it. Um, but there's got to be a point. There is a point in time where you figure out a way to get into the business what made you think you know what i have to be involved what is it that i gotta do how did you figure it out okay so um fandom led me to convincing my best friend craig swenson to like wrestle me throughout the hallways and, you know, at our high school and on the, the, the gym stage before physical ed or right before we had to get on the buses, we would just 
do like little mock matches, not even doing any real moves, just like hitting each other's with our backpacks. And that snowballed into us somehow or other recruiting other high schoolers to do backyard wrestling at my at my home. And there was another guy who had the video camera and his mom also was like, you know, it's fine for you guys to come to my property and film yourself doing, you know, mock wrestling. So it was in essentially becoming a leader in like, if I trace my origin stories, this was almost kind of like the first promoting that I ever did. Um, I was able to kind of get a collective of guys to invest themselves enough in dedicating time into a character, into music, into showing up and into like talking before we got together to do the backyard wrestling that really kind of just was the ignition of the flame of I have got to like do this. Like there are people that have been doing this for years and there are people that have been making my mom's money for years off of the fact that I'm so into this. At this point, I'm kind of doing a very rudimentary version of it. You know, no ropes, no no charging for tickets, just a stereo and like one of those VHS cameras. And then we got another <laughs> one. So we had two cameras going at once, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing serious. And um, I would do this while I was undergrad in college in New York City. I started doing it right after I graduated. By the time I graduated high school, which is 99, 99, I actually graduated high school the day Owen Hart fell from the Kemper Arena, May 23rd, 1999. Um, um, by the time I went to undergrad college, my friends were still like, hey, when you come home for Christmas break, can we can we? filmed a couple episodes of UWF and I was like, hell yeah, we can. And then when I'm home for the summer, we're going to resume. We'll just have off seasons. So all throughout my undergrad <laughs> year in college, I'm talking uh, 19, 20, 21, I'm like coming back home as an adult living in New York and doing backyard wrestling with a lot of guys who were still in high school. And, and, and it was around that time that I was like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not getting any younger. So I've got to get involved because this thing really fills me wholly, even more than like doing like a Shakespeare production or, or fucking, you know, Law and Order, which a lot of my friends that well, I went on after Carver to go to NYU and study in the Tisch School of, of Drama or Acting, um, like a lot of my friends were going on to some success, but I didn't care about that. What meant more to me was getting home to like film UWF episodes, a, a series of tapings of UWF with my high school friends who also were really passionate about this. And and one thing that did start happening was I would notice that as um, all my high school friends would get in, involved with girls and stuff, like it started like getting into real adult things. They kind of be like, oh yeah, I don't feel like rolling around in the yard fit. tonight, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and that's when I was like, huh, well, this is only going to be able to go for so long. So I better start doing this on an adult level and I'll never forget. I went into my guidance counselor or whatever you call it, advisor in college. I went into my advisor's office and this subsequently was right after right before I would go on to drop out of school. And I said to my advisor, I want to work for world wrestling federation. And I know that they're in Stanford, Connecticut, and I go to NYU. So I want an internship there. And my advisor looks at me and he goes, you want to work for the WWF? And I go, yeah. And he goes, all right, I'll go ahead and, and send out the, uh, you know, contact their HR and um, get you all set up. But I did not go back. I did not enroll for my third year of, of NYU or I would have started an internship with WWE, probably, I don't know, editing or something, you know. Um, 
And then when I dropped out of NYU, I was watching um, an episode of Raw and a local commercial came on for a pro wrestling training academy in my area of Baltimore. And the gears started turning in my head like, whoa, whoever runs this place like was savvy enough to get a commercial during Raw, like knowing that everybody's watching Raw. So I was like, I want to find out how they did that. Like these people know what they're doing. Like imagine if I could advertise my backyard wrestling shows during Raw, like a lot of people would probably show up. So I kind of was like, this is, this is the business. This is a smaller business of what I'm watching. And I called uh, the pro wrestling training Academy and I was like, Hey, I'd like to learn about how you guys do this. Um, and they were like, well, come on down. We'll show you the school and talk to you about some things. And that was how, I eventually got in in into wrestling is by dropping out of NYU, not following through on my internship with WWF, and finding a local pro wrestling company called Maryland Championship Wrestling that were advertising actively during the biggest wrestling program, you know, on TV at the time. Um, because WCW by this point, WCW was bought. This mm -hmm. is 2000. I dropped out of NYU in 2001, um, right after 9/11. So by this point. Uh, WCW's bought and it's the biggest show on TV and here's a small company that's doing a, an ad I gotta find out who these people are and like you find out if there's any way I can get involved so they invited me down to the school I toured it and then they sat me down and they were like so for what we can offer you we're gonna need you to like pay the uh, tuition for like a manager or a referee like and they showed me the breakdown of how a wrestler you had to pay three thousand dollars for a year-long training 1500 down or a thousand down and for a referee it was like um and manager it was like a thousand it was straight up a thousand dollars with 750 down and i was thinking to myself what what i want to learn and help you and you want me to pay like what is this like this is not like when i was like i i'm i i didn't tell them this at the time but i was like i, I i'm in nyu i go to nyu like how dare you want me to pay money to like come down and help you um but they broke it down to me and they said you know you are going to if you're good and if you're not like you know just wasting our time you are going to make connections through us that are going to last you a lifetime and take you to a lot of places and that's not free if that was free, this place would be filled with a bunch of people that look just like you that were like getting an education about the wrestling business. So show us how serious you are, put the 750 down and make your tuition payments and we will, we will, we will assimilate you. And um, shortly after I put the money down, um, started like showing up and doing things like going on flyering expeditions where we would just go around the town and put up posters for upcoming shows and if wwf was in town we would get a whole crew and we would put flyers on every car in the garage and then when the doors were open and people were leaving we would literally hold the doors open and like hand flyers out for the upcoming mcw show so like a lot of like admin stuff like that which is true to life what i said i wanted to learn about and then they kind of slid me into like the merchandising and like kind of like making the shirts pop a little bit more so that people would pay $25 or making the tapes like shrink wrapped so that it was like, oh, I just bought something. This isn't just the tape from Kmart. I'm opening it up. This is an MCW tape. Like we literally would take tapes from Kmart 
and then take them out of their packaging. And then we had these little black boxes that we would put a sticker on that would say MCW, put a sticker on the front so people would feel like they weren't just buying like a, 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 a tape, they were buying like an MCW tape. So like all types of things like that is what I did for my first year. And I know I'm going on and on and on. Did I answer your question? Did, of course. Did you want to interject anything? No, 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 that's great. No, you found your way into the business. And it's really interesting yeah. to find out about how it went from backyard to, okay, the guys are noticing girls, so they're not showing up to the shows. Because, yeah, of course, because you know what, Larry? I started backyard wrestling in 1998. I didn't stop backyard wrestling until 2017. I had been I'd been doing it for geez many many years. I know exactly what it's like because I ran my backyard wrestling groups, and some people just drop off here and there because yeah. uh, wrestling's not yeah. for school anymore, and uh, we're partying and going to parties. No, we got a wrestling show this weekend, man. So I I, I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to that. Unfortunately, I did not have the avenue living in Perth, Western Australia to just try go wrestle for a professional wrestling company at the time. Um, but that that's why I, I was really vibing with that story because it's so similar to mine. <laughs> I know yeah. what it's like. You have these dedicated guys, dedicated guys there every month, but then all of a sudden they get a girlfriend, they're gone. <laughs> Can I can I share with you one of the worst one of the worst things that happened was that like my champ like my one of my most prized wrestlers like a big deal we had put so much effort into making him a former champion still in the contention and he was actually one of the better wrestlers out of all of us he was a smaller guy and he could hit all the Rey Mysterio things his dad made him enroll in the army um and right out of high school and I guess he was like embarrassed didn't want to do it it was kind of like you know under the rule of my parents still you know and now it's time for me to do what i want to do and they've decided the best thing for me bro he just didn't show up for our show and like we're like where is Tehran? like does anyone have his number and everyone was like i don't know and finally i called and i called this house and finally his dad picked up and i go oh hi um is Tehran there and his dad's like Tehran's in the army and i'm like <laughs> what and he's like, yeah, he enlisted and he won't be back for another eight months. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. And then I had to like go out and tell all of my guys that were all geared up and waiting around. We've been waiting for like an hour. I'm like, yo, Toronto's in the army. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, like he's gone. Like, did anyone know? And like, everyone was like, I know. I just talked to him two nights ago. And the guy was like, we're going over the match. You know, so that was like one of the, the biggest letdowns early on in my career before I was even a, even a pro. But yeah, to, just to empathize with you running it, that's a long time, 98 to 2017, too. That is an immense amount of time. But, you know, um, yeah, I started yeah, at 11 I years my, old I couldn't and keep my crew together. I couldn't <laughs> keep my crew together once the girls and life started happening. It was like I was out on a limb and I was the only one that cared that much about it to like make it make it happen and work <laughs> consistently. Absolutely. You know, and I don't want to bore everyone with my details, but maybe when we're done with the interview, I can tell you a little bit more about my experience. But let's get, yeah. keep keep on with your uh with your story in professional wrestling. Um, so all I thought, okay, so you came onto my radar when you started ring announcing for XPW. And I'm like, who is this guy? Clearly, he didn't just start now, he's been around, he has to have been around a while. 
Um, so I'm disappointed in myself and my fandom for not knowing of you beforehand. But I've I've seen that you've been a ring ring announcer for years. But then all of a sudden today I'm doing my research because as I do my research usually on the day of the interview to keep it fresh. Yeah. Um, I'm finding out they actually did wrestle. You actually were a wrestler. Uh, I thought you just ring announced this whole time. So I'm very excited to hear about all this stuff. Okay, hold on. Let me stop you. If you're if you're looking at I don't know what it's called cage match. Cage match. Net. I am. I am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There, there's there's another Larry Legend. Okay. No way. Okay. I okay. thought that might have been. The okay. Case. Okay. So here here's here's the here's the skinny mini. Okay. My original name in pro wrestling as an announcer was Larry Kennedy Phillips. Yeah. I was a heel announcer that was kind of supposed to be adjacent to the Mr. McMahon character in MCW in as much as that we had an evil promoter who would decree things and I would be the mouthpiece and I would relish in sort of revealing to a face that, oh, and you know who the special guest referee is going to be? It's going to be me. <laughs> so the, the Larry Kennedy Phillips was the original name that I was given in MCW, my alma mater, my first company. Um, and what happened was that eventually... I went out to do other promotions and um, I started being the personal announcer for Ruckus in CZW with his stable, The Blackout. Yeah. And when I went there, I was called Big Larry K. Big Larry K. Kind of like an homage to Larry Kennedy Phillips. Anyway, long story short, when I finally became the CZW announcer proper, I christened myself Larry Legend. I christened myself Larry Legend when I first came out to CZW to be like, hey, y'all, I'm your new announcer. You may remember me when I was with Blackout as Big Larry K, but from this day forth, you can call me Larry Legend. And as the new announcer for CZW, I'm going to make, you know, spiel, spiel, spiel. And that's where Larry Legend was born. During this time where I'm still kind of a little pebble, not really out there, another wrestler who, who happens to be from the Maryland area decided to start calling himself Larry Legend. So on Cage oh. Match, there's there's some, there's it's listing that I've done a lot of matches. Now I have, I have done a few matches, okay? I have done okay. a few matches because let me take you back. Um, When I was the heel announcer, Larry Kennedy Phillips, I was getting so much heat that in MCW, where I was kind of being an admin, you know, administrator at first, they were like, we've got to train you to take bumps. Like, and they had no idea about my backyard. MCW had no idea I was a backyarder. When I came down there and I was like, I want to get into this. I didn't say, well, you know, I do backyard. I did none of that. Because it was frowned upon. It was frowned upon in 2001. You know, like, you could hurt yourself. You know, don't try this at home. You know, there's a big case about the kid who killed his sister while he was babysitting her. He, like, was just doing moves off wrestling. So I never told them anything about that. And eventually they were like, you know, you get a lot of heat. You're a good heel announcer. We're going to have to teach you how to bump. So eventually it can be something like, and if I beat you, I get five minutes alone in the ring with your your little mouthpiece, Larry yeah. Kennedy Phillips. How about that? And I'm like, you know, selling like, what? Me? No, 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 no. I can't do it. You know, and that would eventually <laughs> lead to, you know, a little mini match at the end of the show where it's like, I get stripped out of the tuxedo. I'm taking shots. You know, maybe I get a shot in there real quick. And like, I'm surprised that I got that in, you know, the whole whole Bobby Heenan heel manager type bumping and wrestling. So I, I have done a few matches. I would say over the years I've done 10. 
I've done like 10 matches where I've been like, you know, a manager on the outside, get them in the ring to, to, to like beat them up or like a special tag partner with someone. And I get yeah. in there at the very end and hit a rock bottom or a people's elbow. <laughs> Nothing significant, no full, like, I can't tell you one full, I had one full match against Scott Chong from Tough Enough 2. He was a special guest at the MCW Shane Shamrock Memorial Cup one year. And I, I started berating him right before we went to the main event. And the reason that I did that was so that he and I could have a mini match. He tapped me out with a Boston Crab. And then the old ring announcer from MCW came out and was like, get this piece <laughs> of shit out of here. I was the original announcer. You go to the back. I got the main event. And every and, uh, all was right with the world. But no, that Larry Legend listed who I have met and I have announced. I've announced that Larry Legend before is not me. All those matches are not accurate. Sorry. Uh, no, that's good. I'm glad to uncover what is true, what is not true. This has happened so many times on my podcast. And uh, yeah. I've been able to contact Cage Match on and have them fix it up for me. So oh, I wow. will do that. I've always this. wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, there's I got there's you, Larry bro. Legend. I got you. There's Larry Legend that started out as Larry Kennedy Phillips, aka Larry Mercer. And then there's another Larry who I don't think he's as active anymore. As a matter of fact, he may be retired. He got started having children. And you know, again, just like with the backyard, he he kind of faded away. But no, that that is not me. <laughs> okay, well, I I got you, bro. I will get in contact with them, and I'll make sure that we can rectify that whole situation. It really just one email, and they sorted out. They're really good about it. Um, oh, nice, cool. So, okay, you've mentioned CZW. <laughs> uh, you you're a hall of famer with CZW. Um, yes, indeed. I, I mean, I don't mean to give such a question that's so broad, but what does your run with CZW and being in their Hall of Fame mean to you? You know, give me like in a nutshell, like, gosh, you, how how it came to be that you're going to be there bringing out so just that whole experience. Well, I want to I want to just say, um, being inducted into the Hall of Fame for CZW in my eyes, in a career of an MC is like the closest thing that I will ever do to winning a championship belt legitimately. Mm. Like not a, not a schmoz where I fall on the guy and it's like, Larry's the champion. But, <laughs> but actually like you have done enough to be crowned something. Because that's what we know is the championship run. You know, like you've done it for a while as a tag. We're giving you the intercontinental title. You've done that so well. Now you're getting the world title progression. So being inducted to me was like the closest thing. That's why if there were pictures of me holding it up like a championship belt, because I felt that that's, that was my title win in, in the indie wrestling echelon. No one will ever be able to take it away. Um, and it's, it's in history, but I came to CZW originally as the personal ring announcer for a stable called blackout yes. consisting of ruckus, uh, Eddie Kingston, Joker, Robbie Marino, Chrissy Rivera and Black G's, who at the time was called Sabian. And what happened was that MCW finally, after many years, um, booked Ruckus on one of their shows. And the first time that I ever announced Ruckus, whose intro has a lot of rhyme couplets like the Jake the Snake of getting baked, the Teddy Long of hitting the bong, the <laughs> Vinnie Mac of the dime sack, the Jerry Sags of the nickel bag, like all these kind of like <laughs> weed references, like before I say the rock is, I did that and I nailed it so well that he comes up to me in the back and he's like, bro, you killed that intro. 
And I was like, thank you. He's like, nobody's ever done it that good. And I was like, really? He was like, nah. I was like, well, it's easy because it's kind of like hip hop. It's like rhyme. He's like, yeah, I know. But you should see how many ring announcers are like, he is the Jake the Snake of getting paid. He is the Teddy Law. Like they're like reading it like, you know, an announcer. He's like, and you added like kind of like a flavor to it. That's like the way that it's supposed to be announced. And he was like, uh, hold on one second. Okay, I just sorry. He 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 added a flavor to it that um that I added a flavor to it that was like the way that he always intended it to be. And he was like, I'm gonna have to take you. I'll never forget this. He said, I'm gonna have to take you with me to CZW. Now at the time, I did not know what that was, but what? early on in my career, we're talking 2005. We're talking 2005. So if you're following along my my progression here, and I'm just like, oh sure, I'll I'll go with you to CZW, whatever the fuck that is, you know. And he kept hitting me like, yo, when are you gonna come? But I'm still very green at this time. I don't know, like, oh, I'm supposed to get myself there. I'm supposed to ride with people. And eventually, finally, I just took a Greyhound bus from. Um, New York City to Philly and I took a cab over to the CZW arena and I met up with him and he's like you got your gear and I'm like of course he's like all right I'm gonna talk to John and we're gonna have you announce me tonight and anybody in blackout and I'm like okay and he introduced me to Zandig he talked to Zandig he had been telling Zandig about me and Zandig comes up to me after um or Ruckus is like I'm gonna introduce you to him come on and I have my suit on and I come up to him and he's like, this is my boy, Larry, I was telling you about. And Zandig looks at me and he looks me up and down and he goes, you really want to get involved in all this shit? <laughs> and I say, yes, sir, I do. And he like, he like just goes and shakes his head and walks away from me. <laughs> like, there's no like answer given. There's no like, all right, you know what to do. It's just like right. and the the ruckus walked away and he's like, oh, "Are you you cool?" And I'm like, "I am." And he's <laughs> like, "Yeah." He's like, "So, I started out in CZW just being the personal announcer for uh, Ruckus and the stable of Blackout, which was actually a pretty layered position because Blackout was all throughout the show. So every time they were, were in a match, I would have to come out and kind of snatch the microphone from the CZW announcer and be like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm going to do it, you know, and do, and do the deal. Um, and then um, I, I kind of stopped coming because I did that, I think, three times. I was the personal announcer for Blackout. But, like, no one ever paid me, oh. like, at the end. Like, and at this point, like, I'm like, Having got involved in 2001, it's now 2005. I know one lesson that I've learned is like you get your money, like it costs to get places and you're mm -hmm. not new. So don't let anyone take you for a ride. But what would happen was that at the end of these CZW shows, I really wasn't savvy of who like I went to to be like, yo, give me my money. I certainly didn't want to approach Zandig, the guy who asked me, do you really want to get involved in all this shit? Even though I knew he was the boss, I never physically saw him giving out envelopes. So like, I kind of just like, would like go do it, hang out, smoke tons of pot, meet everybody, <laughs> and then like take a take a cab back to the Greyhound station and and Greyhound my ass back to New York, and it was all very exhilarating. But I was like, yes, yeah, so someone's gonna have to pay me, you know? Like, yeah, I can't just say like you know, getting my hair cut and getting this suit dry cleaned and yeah. taking a bus and taking off work, and this is all well and good, but I can't do this. And I kind of like stood CZW up. 
uh, where they kind of like my my uh, champion Tehran, the pretty boy, where they were expecting me, and you know, I just was like, gotta work. Day of, they're like, are you, where are you? I'm like, yeah, work wouldn't let me get out of work. I got to make this money, and they were like, we wish you would have let us know. And I was like, well, you know, I wish I would have gotten paid sometimes. It's kind of <laughs> like what I said, and then they were like, yeah. you, you never got paid for all those times. And I'm like, no, dude, stop acting brand new. Like this is literally how this conversation went. I was like, stop, stop. You know, I never got paid. Who, who talked about Larry's money at those shows when I would just show up and announce blackout? Nobody. So, I'm doing work now. They're like, well, we'll, well, can we possibly talk about this? And I'm like, sure. We talked about it. They were like, if money was an issue, you should have bought it up. It's like, I shouldn't have had to bring it up. No. I'm out there performing like yeah, everyone else. Exactly. Everyone else that's on the show is getting money. Like, why should I have to bring it up? And we negotiated a price. And then I stopped being just like the blackout announcer. And I became the CZW announcer because that announcer that I was used to snatch the mic from, he got a job working as an editor for WWE Magazine, oh, which- cool. Hindsight 2020, that may have been what my internship, like, you know, when I when I first went to the counselor or the advisor, and I'm like, I'm gonna, that could have been my path into WWE as an mm -hmm. editor of the magazine. But Ed O'Mac, the CZW announcer, when I first came in as Blackout's personal announcer, he took a job with WWE, and they were like, you know, we need you. Come on down. Stood them up. They called me. They were like, why'd you do that? I was like, because every other time I've never been paid. They were like, well, if that's the case, let's talk money. I was like, this is the way that you do business. And that began my run with CZW. And that was started in 2008. 2008 was when I became the CZW announcer full time. The first show that I did, I decided to kind of like show my ass, if you will. And I like wore just like regular, like kind of like New York street fashion, like, you know, Timberland boots, you know, crispy jeans, like this like parka, this like leather parka with all this fur around it, a notorious B.I.G. t-shirt. Like I looked like I was club ready. Um, <laughs> and this was for my first CZW show as full-time announcer, not just Blackout's personal announcer. And um, everyone kept coming up to me and going, where's your suit? <laughs> and I would be like, I'm not wearing it. And they'd be like, why not? And I'd be like, because I don't want to. Like, again, <laughs> this is all having been there a couple times, not, never being paid. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call these motherfuckers on their bluff. And since this is CZW, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because that's what it seems like y'all are all about. And I got a lot of heat from it. This, the crowd was like chanting, where's your suit? Where's your suit? <laughs> and um, at one point, Zandig came down from the crow's nest or the eagle's nest, whatever that balcony is that he used to like watch the CZW show from. He came down from it and he cut a promo. And after he gets done the promo, he goes, and the next time we see you in here, you better be wearing a fucking suit. And he like <laughs> chopped the microphone into my chest. And I remember it hurt really bad. Like it hurt. Like I actually like was in training, like and had taken a chop from Keenan Creed or someone when he like put the mic. And I was like, whoa, now I know what he means by you really want to be around all this shit. Um, <laughs> because I was like, this guy is huge. And he just like pretty much buried the microphone into my chest. Um, and the crowd is like kind of like not with it. But I still was doing the, the announcements like legendarily. I wasn't like, I wasn't like telling jokes or anything. I was doing my job. 
I just didn't look the part that people had remembered me as looking when I was with Blackout. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that one of the reasons, and I learned this hindsight being 2020, one of the reasons that they were so adamant about me wearing a suit fr from going forward was that they were filming the scene from The Wrestler at the next CZW show. They did not smarten me up to this at all, but I was the CZW announcer and they were filming the scenes for the, you know, 20th Century Fox, Darren Aronofsky film, The Wrestler, featuring Necro Butcher versus Mickey Wart in the CZW arena during a CZW show. And I guess they just wanted to put their best foot forward and be like, oh yeah, this is our announcer. Like, if you don't have one. And guess what? They didn't. And that's how I ended up being featured in The Wrestler. Um, you know, the first voice that you hear in the movie, The Wrestler, when the movie first starts is a kind of like a crowd, a crowd like, and then you hear an announcer go, a true American hero, Randy the Robinson. That was me. <laughs> I, I went to a, a small studio in Brooklyn, New York and, and filmed that or recorded that audio multiple times. And, you know, they did the scene um, at a CZW show where Necro and, and Randy the Ram are fighting and they needed me for a few of those scenes to like be like, okay, we're going to do the wide shot of before this match starts, have the announcer in the center looking like he's about to announce. Had to film that like 33 times or some shit just standing there. There's a cool picture of Darren Aronofsky like with me standing there and Darren Aronofsky's behind me like, I don't know, positioning a camera or something. Um, but that was one of the reasons that they were so adamant about wearing a suit the next time. And I was so goddamn thankful that I, I did because had I been like, you know what? Fuck them. They still ain't pay me enough. I'm gonna do what I want to do. I probably wouldn't have been featured in the movie as heavily as I was. And um, being featured in that movie is kind of like my way of like owning the name Larry Legend because um, I didn't, I don't have that name trademarked. Um, it's a weird thing because it's like, Oh, when you use like an adjective as your last name, like Mike Awesome, just incredible. Yeah. Well, who has the patent on the name on the word legend or or incredible or awesome? No one. It's just a word in the lexicon. But when they asked me um what you want to be credited as in this movie, I said Larry Legend. So forever, if you look at the credits of the wrestler as they're rolling, third from the bottom, CZW announcer, Larry Legend. So, you know. Who knows where my career will go in 10 years from now? There may be some litigation that I have to, you know, undergo <laughs> because someone's saying like, hey, you're not that guy. You're not that guy, which actually did happen to me through Facebook where multiple people levied allegations that I was not Larry Legend. So my Facebook was shut down for many years, actually. Right. And I had to like, I had to like fight and like send them pictures of plane tickets for Larry Legend and checks made out to Larry Legend and mail addressed to Larry Legend and shit like that before I could get my Facebook privileges back. But um, that's kind of like my coup. My coup is that when they asked me in The Wrestler, what do you want to be called? I said, credit me as Larry Legend. And no one will ever be able to take that away from me. For a while on IMDb, the internet movie database, I was only uh, listed as Larry Legend. But then I got into Ring of Honor, which was owned by Sinclair Broadcast Group. And they wanted to call me Larry Mercer, which is oh. my given name, yeah. because they didn't want it to appear that 
they had taken me from CZW, like this, the CZW guy. By the time I got to Ring of Honor in 2013, I was very much established the CZW guy. Right. And they did not want the perception to be that like, oh, Ring of Honor took the CZW guy and now he's Larry Legend over there. So they they made me go by Larry Mercer. And that's when my IMDb magically changed from Larry Legend to Larry Mercer, parentheses, legend. <laughs> Well, what a I've talked so much. So it's it's forty five minutes in. I'm sorry. No, I'm that's sorry. Okay. I've talked bro, so much. It's okay, bro. It's okay. This is all very interesting stuff. I love it. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to cut out a bunch of questions. We're gonna do a part two at some point. Uh, we've got we have to. It always is a part two, and I am down. I am down. Cool, because you know I want to start doing that because I used to get people on the show and I just talked to them for three hours. But now I want to start doing like a part one and then a few months later, a part two. So I think that'll be best. But like, I, I wanted to get into this question here because this is one thing yeah. I was really interested to know about as far as you and your style of ring announcing. How did you come up with your style of ring announcing? Because for me, it seems so unique. Like if I could give an example, if you were going to introduce the Sandman, you wouldn't say the Sandman. You would probably go the Sandman. You probably go up instead of down at the end there. How did you come up with your style of ring announcing? Because it is so unique. Um, um, influences. Um, again, like I mentioned to you when I would be like just immersed in WWF, it would always be kind of like um, the, the, the drama that led to the fight. And that would involve a lot of like um, accentuation and enunciation and pronunciations that made it lit. So like some of my biggest influences on my style of ring announcing, probably Paul Heyman. I believe that when Paul Heyman delivers words, he is the absolute best ever to do it. Um, uh, Jim Cornette as well. Not not even just not even announcing. Like, I don't even know if those guys announced like a ring announced. If they did, I probably have seen it and didn't even realize it. As a matter of fact, I do think I remember seeing Paulie as a ring announcer once. But I just absorbed the styling of Bobby Heenan, Gorilla Monsoon, Jesse Ventura, Mean Gene Okerlund, Howard Finkel, Mike McGurk, all of those sounds kind of like bled into my delivery. And I've got to also call out the hip hop elements in Ruckus's intro, the rhyme couplets, being able to get the license to kind of like add a little bit of maybe something not orthodox to the intro, um, even like curse words. Like I love when like someone like, like Akira used to have me call him the goddamn motherfucking death samurai. Well, <laughs> you know what? All those curse words, I could kind of like curse and like, like I'm actually cussing someone out or I could like work really hard to over enunciate every like K and T <laughs> and H to make it like almost sounds like, wow, this guy's really, announcing these curse words properly like a proper fucking magistrate or some shit like you know like um and that kind of makes you smile and for the wrestler it gets them pumped up there have been rest there have been an there have been wrestlers who have told me to say something that they did not think i actually was gonna say because it was like too crass or too like like oh my god did i just hear that like and i relish i relish at opportunities to kind of like 
intonate something and add a little bit of Larry to the delivery because that is what created the emotional attachment for me to even get involved is like the way that these guys would style. I want to say one thing about the Sandman. I actually don't think I've ever announced the Sandman to the ring. I think I always let the music do it. That, because nowadays when he comes out, everyone's singing his song. So um, I, it's so funny. I think the last time I did something with him was at, was at GCW's Joey Janela's Lost in New York. And he interrupted Stokely Hathaway, who interrupted me <laughs> and interrupted the proceedings. And when he came out, I never said his name. And then he doesn't like do a match. He just like canes people. Uh, so I think at the end, maybe I, I don't think I ever really say Sandman's name. No, I don't think um, you have. Like, that was just an example that like it was the first name that came to my head if I was going to do an impression of what you would do when you would announce yeah. somebody. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. It's like in in uh, okay, just the Asai Moon sold off of that. The first time that I ever heard Michael Buffer announce the Undertaker, he does it the total exact opposite of Howard Finkel. Just like you imitated with me doing the Sandman, he goes straight up. The Undertaker, like it takes off. And Howard Finkel does what I kind of do, which is like a ride the rhythm of the Undertaker. Yeah, and it's like exactly. the roller coaster, you know? But again, that comes from just like influences. It's homage, so if you will. It's so funny. It's, it's, it's ingrained in, into our minds exactly how Howard Finkel says things, you know, gangrel. Hardcore mm -hmm. Holly, you know, every time. Yeah. You know what's so funny? Um, I like watching like old times, like where. So I watched um, I watched WWF Invasion on DVD. Um, mm -hmm. because a friend of mine, Rob Van Dam, just came back to AEW, and my best friend Craig was like, Rob Van Dam's best match, and I just started thinking about all of them. We decided it was probably one of his ones with Jerry Lynn. Mm. But I like the first time he wrestled on WWF against Jeff Hardy and won yeah. a belt, the hardcore title at that pay-per-view. So I watched that and I listened to Howard's intro for him. Now, this is the first time Howard Finkel was introing him. It's very different than to what Howard grew to announcing him. Like he was like, Rob Van Dam. Like oh, it was like really? just sort of like, here's this guy. And I bet you it's because he was an ECW guy. And I'll bet you Howard was like, Vince doesn't want me giving them the uh, treatment, if you will. Yeah. He doesn't want me giving them the star treatment that I give. He wants me kind of to kind of diminish them. They're almost WWF guys. They're on a WWF show, but Rob Van Dam. And I was like, hmm. that kind of was like, okay, Rob Van Dam. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you know, um, so it's interesting to me, like also Lillian, because Lillian was really not the best at first. Um, for years, she was not oh, really yeah. heralded as one of the best. But by the end of her run, oh my God, goosebumps, yeah. goosebumps by the end of Lillian's run, the, her command over the intro. Um, so it's fun to me and um, and also to do that to myself, to see like the way I announced Ruckus, like how I kind of, even though I nailed all his rhyme couplets, how I was kind of speeding through it because I was nervous, you know, I didn't want to fuck it up, you know, to then like growing to like embellishing and taking my time with all of them. I think that watching uh, an announcer's journey is a fun thing. Absolutely. And a very, very, you know, knowledgeable thing. Definitely. And, and 
we're getting towards the end of the interview interview here, Larry. Um, and I, I was really happy to hear about like how you've kind of come up with your style of re-announcing. And for everyone out there, next time I have Larry on the show, what I'm going to be asking him about is his experience in Ring of Honor. I'm going to ask him about his thoughts on how I think Dave Pence, Tony Chibble, Leonin Garcia, Michael Buffer, Bob Artis, Stephen DeAngelis, Michael, uh, sorry, Gary, Michael Capetta, and Justin Roberts. Also, pet peeves of ring announcers. Um, also, uh, XPW talk. Uh, we're going to talk about him being a commentary of Ronimi for XPW, how he feels about the state of pro wrestling today. Uh, and so many more questions that are not going to be asked here because we're going to save that for part two. Uh, but Larry Legend, we're getting to our final segment here of the show where I have to find out about your favorite things. I believe I believe it's 12 quick fire questions for quick fire answers. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, the first three are about pro wrestling. Who is your favorite professional wrestler of all time, Larry? That is such a hard question. I'm going to go with Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Excellent. Uh, over the so few times that you actually were in the ring, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite opponent that you got in there with? Uh, probably my first opponent ever, Mark the Shark Trader, who was instrumental in training me to wrestle. So just um, just my my trainer, Mark the Shark Trader, probably was my first my favorite opponent because um how he took care of me and um i felt perfectly like i knew what i was doing you know yep and would that be your favorite match that you've ever participated in oh uh, no that my favorite match my favorite match probably okay. was um a battle my favorite match probably was a battle royal that i took place in at T um, h2o destiny on <laughs> halloween night h2o destiny when onita fought Matt Tremont in the main event, the exploding right. ring death match. Um, you know, but I, I say it was just a battle royal that I was in. But the reason that it was like one of my favorites is because I had no idea that I was gonna do that that night. I showed up with Ruckus, <laughs> you know, just to ride up to see the match, and they're like, You're here, you can be in the battle royal. And I'm like, I can. They're like, Yeah, that'd be great. And I actually got a few eliminations. I got two <laughs> eliminations out of that battle royal. So not only did I show up, not only did I compete, not only did the arena chant my name at one point like they were looking for me to win the damn thing but i got a couple of eliminations so that's probably my favorite match it came out of nowhere and it was like it was on halloween like halloween night i wrestled like that is <laughs> that is legendary absolutely that's great i, I you know what? i want to check out that show i know you know i actually have that show uh on my computer and i still have not watched it yet don't yeah, know what happened H2O, but... H2O destiny yeah. yeah um okay getting away from wrestling now do you have a favorite book um favorite book no I, I can't say that i have a favorite book i mean i like reading shakespeare plays i have a favorite play it would be richard the third i do i do like that play a lot and i mean play is not a book but oh, that's okay i enjoy that i enjoy that play a lot it's my favorite play and i've always wanted to play richard the third one day that's really cool. It's a very different answer that we usually get for Facebook. Most wrestlers say that they don't read. So <laughs> it's good to get at least something. Uh, uh, I mean, there's favorite... there's no real book that I go back to. Like, you know, mm. there are movies, of course, that I put on all the time, but I can't think of a book that like I, I've gone back to. I tore through the autobiography of Malcolm X. Like okay. it was a very well done book um, that I, I just can remember um, voraciously getting through it because I wanted to get to the next part of the story. So right that's cool um do, do you have a favorite tv show 
probably uh i mean honestly it's probably pro wrestling like i can't say like <laughs> raw or dynamite just pro wrestling on tv but i i am really really a big fan of the hbo prison drama oz i i have oh, them all on tape i have um four out of five of the four out of six of the dvd box sets and um that show is brilliant just brilliant all the way through even when it jumped the shark i just right. think the dialogue and the acting is absolutely brilliant on oz okay you know what i'm gonna give it another try because i tried once about five years ago and after the first episode for whatever reason i couldn't get into it but that happened oh, to me with the sopranos as well but then i love the sopranos more than anything when i gave it another try so i'll give it another try Please do. I, I highly recommend it. And it is very jarring. The first episode, there's a lot of sort of like, whoa, in your face, but it only gets better. Okay. I'll give it another whirl. Uh, do you have a favorite film? I do. I mean, I have a couple of favorite films. The one that is probably my favorite ever to watch is A Clockwork Orange. Excellent. That's a good, very good choice. Um, do you have a favorite musical artist or band? Mm, I gosh, it's so hard. Like favorite, you know what I mean? Favorite, I guess. I'm really into I'm really into Jay Z. Uh, the the, hip, the artist Jay Z is one of my favorite rappers of all time. I can I can kind of um go back to his music. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna call a spade a spade. It's it's actually uh Jay Z and the Beatles. And um, I discovered the Beatles through the Gray Album by DJ Danger Mouse, where he took the Black Album and the White Album and kind of mashed them up. And that's how I really got introduced to the Beatles music. And both the Beatles and Jay-Z are two artists that I can just go, just lose myself into and really motivate me to like keep doing well and know my worth. So, uh, Great answers there. Great answers. We're getting away from the arts now, Larry. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Fried chicken. Mmm, very good choice. I, I wouldn't mind. I don't care. I love right it. Now. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? Um, you know, I like. I am a big coffee fan, a coffee enthusiast. So if I can find kind of like a a craft, what I call them, coffee shop, like not like Starbucks or Dunkin', but kind of a place where you can get like a French press or a pour over or something mm. like that, those are those are my spots. So with that said. There is a cafe in Brooklyn called the Swallow Cafe, Brooklyn, New York, East Williamsburg. I really, really enjoy uh, the Swallow Cafe. And I just stumbled upon one in, in D.C. called Doubles. It's a, a coffee shop called Doubles. Um, and it's connected to another uh, establishment that does pizza. So I love that kind of option of just like coffee and pizza right next to each other. And there's a dispensary like on the on the end of the corner. It's like three of my favorite things like in a row. Like I feel like I, I just I just found heaven on Georgia Avenue in Northwest D.C. Well, everyone, if you're in the area in D.C., please, you have to check that out because uh, that sounds like the kind of area that I'd like to hang out with, uh, hang out in too. Uh, Indeed. Two, we've got three more to go here, Larry. Uh, I don't know if you drink alcohol, but if you do, a favorite alcoholic beverage. If you don't drink, though, just a favorite beverage in general. Well, I mean, I like, I like, I like beer. I like, a, I like a stout. Um, but really? I would say that my go-to cocktail is a whiskey sour. Nice. Yeah, I like nice. a little strong, sweet, yep. fruity. Very nice. Like I me. Dig it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, I, 
next one is this one could be you know kind of considers the naughtiest one uh, but right. it could get a very uh you know meaningful answer we've had very many meaningful answers but we also have very many uh on the other side of the spectrum for this answer uh you know, favorite uh female body part attribute the opposite sex you know what what would you look at if larry legend's going to look at uh, a good looking lady definitely legs um legs are one of my favorite things to um like play like go on like go down on like not just <laughs> the nether regions when you go down but i just like um i like eat legs yeah i let my chompers go to work on legs and have a lot of fun <laughs> with them in the act of so like if you have really nice legs like um if to like kind of be analogous to like pro wrestling, like Stacy Keebler. I thought I was, was gonna say because it Come just on. was like it was just like legs were walking down the aisle, like all all you were seeing were legs. So <laughs> I'm really was, into legs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was about to ask, what do you think of Stacy Keebler then? Because, goddamn, uh, yeah, she's well, a Baltimore girl too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know that's 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 where it's all at. You know, clearly. Yeah. Uh, last one here, Larry. <laughs> Last one is your favorite curse word. Probably goddamn. Probably yeah. goddamn. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Goddamn. Uh, every goddamn, time I hear yeah. goddamn, I, I hear Stone Cold Steve Austin say it in my head. So yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's almost like it's almost like the worst curse word. If, again, with my Catholic school ba background, one of the um you know, Ten Commandments is don't take my name in vain. You know, don't take God's name in vain. So to couple it with that, it's just like kind of like the height of blasphemy. <laughs> so it's like my favorite. Awesome, Larry. Well, um, Larry, legend, this has been so fun to talk to you. Um, I can't wait to get you back on very soon, hopefully for a part two um, I, it's very, very rare that I've actually had people return to the show, but now three years into the podcast, I want to start doing that instead of just telling yeah. the whole story one go. How about we just take our time with it and do it in, in sections? So I really enjoyed my opportunity here to talk to you here today. And, and I, I, you know, even though I became aware of you quite late on in your career from when you started, um, I think this is really cool for me to say, like, I live in Perth, Western Australia, which is the most isolated city in the world, right? So you were able to reach all the way from over there to the most isolated city in the world and have someone over here become a fan of you and be like, you know what? This guy's changing the game as far as ring announce is concerned. I've been so impressed every time I do a review of XPW, all I'm talking about half the time is what you're doing. I'm very impressed with you. So I think it's uh, it's important for me to let you know that you've reached this far across the world. Well, that, that wasn't the initial goal when I started doing it, but I knew somewhere deep down inside that there were others like me and my, my compadres that were doing it in my mom's backyard. And that one day I may sort of have as far enough of a reach to be talking to someone and learn a little bit about their story and about how we're just so passionate about it that now we're doing what we're doing. You're reviewing it and, and you've done this podcast for three years. So, you know, that's a testament to like just 
doing it, just being dedicated and doing what's inside your heart, following what's inside your heart. And, you know, you never know when you'll be telling your story to who and how far <laughs> that reach has gone. And now after this, it's just going to reach all that much more further. I hope so, Larry. And, and once again, thank you so much for your time. Right on. Thanks for having me. And thank all of you out there for joining me, myself, California, and my new friend here, Larry Legend, on the Insider's Edge podcast. This is a great time. And guess what? We will see you down the road. Thank you. Network, that's the way we play. Get puppies. Don't play. Network, that's the way we play. Get all of us has been paid for by the WZWA Network.